Hi, and welcome to the Savvy Social Hour podcast. This show is for female biz babes looking to up-level their business and become rockstar entrepreneurs in no time. I'm your host, Jenny, and I'm so excited to chat with you about today's episode. Let's get right into it. Hey, Savvies. Welcome back to another episode of the Savvy Social Hour podcast. I'm here today with Monica Shaw. Monica is a seven-figure business coach who helps entrepreneurs build businesses that support their ideal lifestyles. After receiving her MBA from the Kellogg School of Management and working in marketing for L'Oreal Paris, Monica left her corporate job to start her first company and then her second company, Revenue Breakthrough. Today, she takes her clients step-by-step through the building, growing, and expanding their businesses. She combines her business acumen with her intuition and healing abilities to help her clients get unstuck, eliminate self-sabotage, and move through fear. She's also the author of Getting Rich, You're Doing It Backwards, and Pause, 52 Questions That Lead to More Money and Time. I'm so excited to have Monica here today to chat all about money blocks, so let's just dive right in. Hi, Monica. Welcome to the show. I'm excited that you're here, and I cannot wait to chat all about money blocks with you. So before we kind of dive into the episode, tell us a little bit about yourself and your business and just how you got started doing it all. I got started doing this because I, well, there's a lot of reasons, but fundamentally my mission on the planet is to help women and a few amazing men, entrepreneurs, be able to make more money and to be able to actually make their decisions from their hearts and not just their bank accounts. Because I believe that there's a real crisis with entrepreneurship around just not having enough money to be able to live the lifestyles that we want to live and therefore having quite a bit of struggle in our businesses. And I know that I really started that way. I really struggled um, in the first two years of building my company. Within a year of starting my first company, I was $25,000 in debt. And, uh, and I had just left out of L'Oreal Paris as a brand manager, and I had gotten my MBA from the Kellogg School of Management. So I thought that I was hot shit. I thought, oh, I could handle this. But the problem was that I didn't know how to pay all of that debt off. The debt itself wasn't horrible. It was just being able to pay it off that was causing me you know, major concerns. And what I got clear on is that I had to do something to pay off my debt. So I remember at that time, I was doing everything I could. I was selling stuff on eBay. I was doing focus groups. I was walking dogs. I was cat sitting. I was renting my apartment out on Airbnb just to sort of make ends meet. And there was a particular day where I had rented my apartment out for seven days in a row, three days at one person's apartment, three days in another person's apartment, three days on the couch, another day on the floor. Um, and it was, I was tired and I grabbed all my bags and got on the subway and got off the subway. It was the 63rd street subway at the BDFQ. And as I stepped off the subway, I had three bags on one arm, three bags on another arm a bag across my chest and a roller bag that I was carrying. And I started walking, you know, slowly, slowly up the subway stairs. And as I was walking, New Yorkers are rushing by me and they're pushing the bags off and the the bags are falling. And I finally get to the top of the stairs and I look to the left and the escalators closed. And I look to the right and the elevators closed and I look in front of me and there's three more flights of stairs to get to street level. Oh, wow. (laughs) 
And at that point, I just got really tired. I had sort of become a virtual bag lady for my business. And so that I, I could say that I was an entrepreneur, I was slumping all over the city, doing everything I could. And I just was really tired. And at that moment, I did the unthinkable, which is that I sat down on the New York subway floor. <laughs> and you know you've hit rock bottom when you sit down on a New York subway floor. <laughs> and there I am, like, in my, you know, um, sitting on top of my pile of bags, and the New Yorkers are walking by me, and they're looking straight at me but trying to look away. And, and then I could feel the tears coming down my cheeks, and I got really clear in that moment that I had to make a change, that I had to actually figure out how I was going to pay off the set, how I was going to create consistent and sustainable income, and what I was going to do next. And I gave myself a year to figure it out. And during that year, I hired business coaches and marketing coaches and experts. And I talked to my dad who had sold his company when I was in college and my business school friends. And what I got really clear on is that I was doing everything backwards and in the wrong order. And I was making half as much money as I could and working twice as hard as I needed to. And I find that entrepreneurs today are doing the same thing. Uh, it is, and what I was doing was, was what I like to call playing Russian roulette with my marketing, where it's like you wake up every day and you just decide what to do that day based on what you read in someone's newsletter or what your best friend told you to do or what you think works, but you're not really sure anything's working and you don't have like a real clear strategy. And I know for me, I did everything. I tried to create a, a group program. I tried to write a book. I did all this stuff, but none of it really made consistent income. And so when I finally got clear, I realized that there's five steps to making money, to really consistently and sustainably making money. And when I was able to follow those five steps um, and really focus, like everything shifted. I was able to pay off the $25,000 that I had in debt, put $12,000 in the bank. And then every year since then, I've been able to grow my business and grow my income, uh, doubling and tripling it uh, some years until 2013. Um, we reached a million dollars in revenue and, and now we've been growing to a million dollars plus ever since. And I think the thing that's most exciting for me is now our entire business is focused on helping other entrepreneurs build their incomes and build their lifestyles and be able to be, have more comfort um, in being able to choose how they want to live their life instead of being forced to live, a certain, live in a certain way based on money. Because I know what is true is that if we get enough money into the hands of the right people, that this world is going to look like a different place. And it's already happening in my tribe. I'm literally watching my clients be able to do things like pay for family vacations, send their children to better schools, be able to contribute to their churches, be able to support uh, their parents in a way that they never thought that they could do before. And that's what's exciting about this work is that money isn't everything, but it impacts everything that matters. Totally. And I, I love that story. And I think a lot of people get to that point. They're like, I can't be just throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks. You know, they're just like, you're like, I'm ready to actually make an impact and an income and not be having to work 700 hours a week, like unreasonable hours and not be able to hang out with your friends or your family or whatever you need to do. Cause a lot of people didn't go into entrepreneurship to just 
work so much. Like a lot of people went in for time freedom and a lot of time people don't get that, especially at the beginning because they don't know what to do because it's such a big drastic shift from the corporate world or whatever they were doing before. Absolutely. I mean, we go in thinking that we're going to have so many, so much freedom, time freedom, money freedom, choice of work freedom. And then it ends up sort of, we don't quite always realize it, but we end up tolerating those things being taken away from us <laughs> one by one by one. Totally, totally. I mean, I know in the past when I was first starting, I mean, obviously I wanted to make money. So I, at first I said like, I'm not going to accept anyone I don't want to work with. This is my business. But over time, you know, I got to a point where I was like, well, you know, a little more money would be nice. I don't really want to do this, but you know, a little money would be nice. And then, you know, you get into that spiral and eventually you're like, why am I doing this? Like I didn't go into business for myself to work with people who I don't want to work with. So what am I doing? You know, it's like, yeah. one of those things. And you have to retrain your brain. Like, no, listen to your boundaries, make them clear. And you know, you'll be so much happier and better off and your clients will be better off too. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it does no good to give from an overflowing bucket. Um, uh, or to give from an exhausted place because both of those can be felt energetically. So like, um, what I mean, give from an overflowing meaning, like if you're, if you're overdoing it in your time and your tasks are overflowing and you're trying to give from that place, that's not a great place. But then there's also the place where you're over delivering and you're just having energy deficit, um, Mm -hmm. and you're not being paid enough and it doesn't make sense to give from that place either. You know, people always ask me, well, you know, what makes someone charismatic? What makes someone attractive? Like, how can I walk into a room and be the person that everybody is looking at? And it's not as surface as we think it is. Much of it has to do with the fact that if you can take care of your energy by doing the things that are important for your business, then you can have extra energy to be able to give to somebody. And that's really obvious that people that have that when they walk into rooms. Totally. Yeah, for sure. So now let's just like dive into money blocks. Cause I think this is something a lot of people struggle with, especially at the very beginning. Um, so just starting from the very beginning, what are money blocks? Like, what does that mean? So one of the things that happens as entrepreneurs is that we struggle with like things that relate to money in our businesses. So we struggle with raising prices. We struggle with sending invoices out on time. Sometimes we give discounts to our clients without even telling our clients that we're giving them. Sometimes we don't charge enough. We often are afraid to look at our numbers. Sometimes we avoid putting our numbers, you know, into QuickBooks or into Excel. And then even if they are in there and they're QuickBooks and Excel, then we avoid looking at them. And we avoid looking at the reports that our bookkeepers are doing. And we avoid having sales conversations and asking for money. And things like having proposals and having to come up with price points are terrifying. And I see that over and over and over again with entrepreneurs. And the thing is, is if those things are terrifying, it becomes very difficult. And even if they're not terrifying, like even even if you don't recognize them as being, if you're avoiding them or procrastinating around them, uh, chances are that you're not growing your business as quickly as you'd like to be growing it because all of those things relate to top line revenue and being able to generate more. And what I found is that it is one thing to be able to say to yourself, oh, I should look at my reports more frequently or, oh, I should raise my prices. It's another thing to actually be able to do it. 
and often what stands in our way of actually being able to do those things is these underlying voices and I call them money voices and the they're I, I believe that everybody has like a conference table in their head and in each chair of the conference table is a voice that's telling you what to do a different voice some of those voices are yours some of those are other people's voices and for money uh, they come from childhood experiences so when you are little from the age of zero to seven you are like a sponge and you unconditionally accept everything that you hear everything that you experience and everything that you say and all of those things get get sucked into your brain like a sponge and they become your beliefs your habits and your values and they make up your subconscious mind and so then what happens as you get older is 95% of what we do is driven by our subconscious mind uh, so we can have our conscious mind try to overwrite it, but if there's a voice that's in our heads that, that is behind the scenes in the subconscious mind, it will always feel like a battle is ensuing. It will always feel resistant. Everything will always feel hard. So one of the key pieces first when you're looking at what are my blocks around money is to start to evaluate what are your money voices? What are those voices that are dictating the actions that you're taking? Yeah, no process. Yeah. Um, and I like that you gave some examples on, you know, like what people have trouble with, especially as entrepreneurs. And I like that you also mentioned that it's instilled at us at a young age because a lot of people do like they listen to what their parents said because that's what they were always told. Um, I know for me personally, when I was growing up, I got told a lot money doesn't grow on trees. So then I started saying that later on in my life. And then I realized like, no, it doesn't. But it's not like something that can't be attainable either. So other than like, you know, raising your prices, what are some of the other common money blocks that people end up having? They, what's interesting is that they are, the other kinds of money blocks are about, so let me give you some example of voices that, that will come up, right? As you look underneath the surface. So one of my clients, uh, he makes movies and he had worked on a movie for seven years and it was a great movie, but they were really having trouble getting it out of production and into the film festival circuit, finishing it. And when we looked at what his beliefs were, his parents had said, you can't be creative and make a lot of money. Yeah. If you are going to make a lot of money, then you have to do something else alongside of that creative activity. And so therefore, he really believed that. So he kept working his day jobs, which was getting in the way of being able to finish this movie and really take the next step. And so what was interesting about that is when we looked at it, we said, okay, we've got, you've got this voice playing out of, if I'm creative, I can't make money. And so we, we looked at replacing that voice with a new voice. And the new voice is, um, I can be creative and make as much money as I want to um, and more. And when we, when we replaced that, and he actually left his day job. He took like a leave of absence for about six months finished production of his movie and then got it into the film festivals and he got it into Tribeca. He got it into uh, uh, the Berlin film festival. And then it, it ended up playing in theaters because he was able to really like shift that belief system. And then another story, I have another client uh, and I kept telling her 
we would come to the calls and she really wanted to make six figures in her business. Like she wanted to really cross that threshold. And so one of the, the main ways to do that is to do sales conversations and to ask for money. And she kept struggling with doing them and asking for money. And she knew what she needed to do. You know, we went over how to do it. It just, she just felt, she's like, she'd get off the phone with me and then just do everything else but that. And again, then we looked at, okay, well, what's the block here? What's the underlying belief? And what it turned out is that when she was little and the, every month around the same time of the month, the bills would start to come in and her mom would start to open them. And then she would need to ask her dad for checks and for money and talk about paying the bills. Mm -hmm. And every time that happened, they would get into a huge fight and it would literally last for like the whole two weeks um, between when the bills came and when they were paid. And she really uh, internalized that as uh, when I have money, I fight with people. Like mm -hmm. that's what money creates. Money creates fights. That's what it is. And so she was really like, well, I don't want to do these sales conversations and make more money because I'm going to give up love. Like, I, you know, I'm just going to fight with the person I love. And at the time she was also like really seriously looking for a serious relationship. So it was like getting in the way of her other big desire. Um, they were conflicting, like having success with money conflicted with her desire to find and be with someone. And so until we cleared that, right, and we really replaced it with uh, I can have money, I can have a huge amount of money and a huge amount of love at the same time. And in fact, the more money I make, the more love I can have. She was finally able to start really focusing seriously on growing her business. And the thing that was great um, down the road is that she got so good at doing her business that she became super independent and, and self-sufficient and confident. And she ended up meeting a man who was really attracted to that, like a man who himself was independent and sufficient and confident. Um, and, and they you know, ended up making, like she said, it was the most powerful relationship she had ever had and you know if she had met him she probably wouldn't have attracted him in the state where she felt like she had to depend on someone else to make money uh, but then when she got to that independent state where she could make it it completely shifted her vibration um, and served both her business and her relationship wow that's amazing I, I love those real world examples too because you can like say all these things that are common but like until you have those stories you know it doesn't really make it more real so i i've heard i definitely heard the you know the starving artist kind of one you know so <laughs> a lot of people do struggle with that and my my parents told me that too because i majored in like i went to college and stuff but i majored in pr and they were like well, that industry is not as high paying as you know being a doctor or a lawyer or something like that and that's you know what beliefs that they were installed in them. So they're telling me that. And obviously now I'm doing my own thing and I'm doing social media marketing. So it's like, it's not, and I make more money than I did at my day job. So it's like one of those things you just kind of have to like, let, like take it with a grain of salt. Like, okay, great. Thanks parents. And then like do what you need to do because otherwise you're going to let it hold, hold you back from so many things, you know? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I think that once you once it comes to the surface and you have an awareness around it, absolutely letting it go is, is so important in creating a new belief. Um, and I, I also think, and I, I paused here because I was searching for the right words. I also think it's important that 
but that you examine what is under the surface because a lot of people don't even realize like what those beliefs are and a great series of questions for that is to really ask yourself what did my mom and dad say about money when I was growing up how did we experience money when I was growing up and and what was money like for me when I was growing up and just taking some time to journal about those questions can also uncover other pieces of it. Yeah, that makes sense. So when it comes to money blocks, like is there, I know things have been instilled in us since childhood, basically, like, but how long does it typically take once we kind of realize what our money blocks are um, to kind of combat them and start like, you know, ridding ourselves of those beliefs? So one of the pieces of like, how do, how do we start to rid ourselves of those beliefs? Uh, the first piece is to become aware of them. The second is to create a new money voice. And the new money voice is going to be the opposite of your old belief. Once you've created the new money voice, you want to write it on seven different pieces of paper and put it everywhere around your home as well as like in your coat pocket so you touch it when you're out and about. And I especially want you to stand up and repeat it out loud before every sales conversation you have. The other question that I want um, you to ask yourself with the new belief is like if your new belief is I can have an unlimited amount of money and love in my life then the next question to ask is how what actions would I do differently if I truly believed this and to be asking that daily now all of this might seem like light actions but with with what we know about neuroplasticity so much of creating new beliefs around money or new beliefs period is all about just creating a new groove in your brain like every habit or behavior is just a groove in your brain and i know for me when i re when i really got that everything was just a groove in my brain and that i could start creating a new groove within 7 days and like it gets deeper within 14 days and it gets deeper within 20 one days when I really got that I started to like look at all of my life like that like if I have a habit to wake up late and not go for my run well that's just a habitual groove in my brain so if I can just wake up early and go for my run for seven days in a row then I'm going to start creating a new groove and it like put me in charge of what I wanted to create in my life and so this is one of those pieces where you can start to be in charge of how you think about money I know for me, my, my money voice, my new money voice is money is my rock and it will always be there for me. And I've trained myself over the 15 years that I've been doing this to know that that is true no matter what I see in front of me. And what's so great about my fervent belief in that and the training of myself in that is that at this point in my business, there's very little that really scares me about money. Like even if we're having a crisis, even if somebody backs out of a contract, even if we don't hit our numbers, I know that money is my rock and it is always there for me no matter what's happening in front of me. And because I know that so securely, it's actually been true every year that we have been in business, regardless of the fact that, that we've had bumps. You know, I've, I've gone on stages and not sold well. I've launched programs where the title didn't work and nobody bought, and yet money was still there for me in a different way. Yeah, I think that's really important. I really like the point about, um, you know, writing it down. I feel like that really helps. Um, a lot of people talk about like mindset affirmations and things like that. And you can do that with money affirmations too, because I think that's really key to um, start doing that. And then also like, 
like how you said, start small, do seven days. And you know, they always say it takes like 21 days to form a habit or whatever. So once you get to that 21 day mark, it gets so much easier to just continue doing it and believing that that's what is true instead of, you know, your old beliefs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. So now let's dive into the three questions that I ask everyone who comes on to the show. So what does it mean for you to be an entrepreneur and what is your favorite part about it? What is it? Could you ask that one more time? Yeah. So what does it mean for you to be an entrepreneur and what's your favorite part about it? Okay, great. Means for me to be an entrepreneur. Um, I think that's a great question. I think being an entrepreneur is, I think the most important aspect of it is being able to create an impact in the world in the way that you choose versus a way that somebody else chooses for you. And I don't think that there's something magically better about being an entrepreneur versus work, work versus working for someone else. Cause I think the grass is green on both sides and I've been on both sides, but I know for me, I always had this itch that I couldn't scratch. And that itch was, I, I want to do something in the world where I impact people. And I'm, and I was lucky enough to, to be able to find that mission fairly early on. Like my, the fact that I help women entrepreneurs uh, make amazing money um, and, in, and a few amazing men is something that comes very naturally to me. And I think that's what is so great about being an entrepreneur is it allows you to choose the impact that you're going to make in the world, choose the people that you're going to be around, choose, um, even the revenue and the income that you're going to create and have it all be up to you. It's that independence freedom piece that I love about it. Yeah. The power of being able to have that choice is so powerful. And like we talked about earlier, some people don't even, they forget they even have that choice because they get so wrapped up in things and then they're, they come back a couple months later and they're like, Oh, you know, I don't have to work with this client or I don't have to offer this service if I hate it. So like people don't realize that sometimes. Absolutely. And I, I always say to my clients, never forget when you're overwhelmed or confused or you have a lot going on that you chose this, right? You chose to be in business. You chose to say yes to multiple events. You chose to have multiple clients. And so there, that always brings you back to a place of being able to unchoose it should you want to. Um, but for most of us, like I always ask myself the question when I'm having a bad day, you know, and I'm like going out to the store to maybe pick something to eat. I ask myself, what would I be doing if I were working for someone else? And yeah. the answer is always like, not the best thing, right? Like doing what they wanted me to do or going to lunch with people that I don't want to go to. And that always brings me back to the space of like being so grateful for the choices that I get to make and the things that I get to do now. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Um, so what is your favorite tool that you use in your business? Just something like very crucial to running your business and you just can't imagine not having. It's funny because I don't know that it's a tool. I think maybe you know, it, it, I definitely could, you know, do technology, but I, I'm in the middle of uh, prepping for our annual three-day event. And it happens May 16th through 18th in Atlanta. And we're so busy right now. And I personally am still able to find the space and the time to enjoy it, to enjoy the process, to work on every element of the outline, to create amazing content. And the reason that I can do that is one, because we've been doing the event for, you know, multiple years. So it's not, it's not as stressful as it used to be, but two, and I think this really is the tools that I have an amazing team, 
And one of the things that I've noticed about having a team, you know, beyond the fact that they do stuff and it's great to delegate, is that they don't have the same emotional weight to every little they don't associate the same emotional weight to every little task that you do so that they can get things done much, much faster than you. And mm -hmm. that's something that I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs aren't taking advantage of, you know, because what we don't realize is that we put emotional weight on things. So to give you an example, um, we're doing an event on Saturday and I asked a restaurant if they would sponsor the event. And I never asked a restaurant to sponsor one of our events before. And I just kind of did it out of the blue. It came to me one day and they wrote, immediately wrote back and said, yeah, sure. You know, we'll provide lunch for 30 people. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was right. like, did they just say yes? And then I got all into my head about it. And I've been doing this for a while. I mean, we're going on 15 years and I run a pretty big company. And yet still, you know, <laughs> I have the same mind game shit that everybody else does. And so I was like, wait. What does that mean? And I got all in my head and I could feel myself like already moving into sabotage around it, like somehow trying to sabotage the opportunity. And what was so great is that my team, um, the, you know, the member, my project manager on my team saw the email, wrote back and was like, okay, so they want to know how many people and what the menu is, you know, what do you want me to do? And I was like, oh, just write back and get the menu. And she's like, great. And she handled the whole thing, you know, well up until like picking the menu, deciding what it was going to get delivered, giving them the phone number. And she did it all in like 10 minutes. And for me, that would have been like so much self-sabotage and worry and anxiety over something stupid. And I feel like as entrepreneurs, we do that stuff all the time because this is our baby, the businesses, and everything's about us. No matter how advanced you get with mindset and the work that you do, everything feels somewhat personal. Mm -hmm. It gets better over time, but it never goes away. And so because everything feels so personal, we have this tendency to take a long time making decisions and getting things done. And when you have a team, they just don't have the same kind of bullshit mindset stuff <laughs> that we do. And so they just work through things a lot faster. So if you're out there and you haven't taken advantage of having someone on your team, whether it's a personal assistant that comes helps you at home or a virtual assistant that helps you a couple hours a week or, or a full-time employee who's completely committed to your business. Like just know that I think that's the main benefit of having team members is, is that they're not personally invested in the same way that you are. And yeah. therefore they can bulldog their way through things that would take you weeks or months to do. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, even, I mean, there's some things obviously that I feel like I need to handle. Like if it's like, sometimes I feel like if it's a, like a client that's like pushing back, I'm like, okay, I will step in instead of my subcontractor. Cause it's like, it gets to that point where it's like, okay, I need to like yeah, put down the hammer, but you know, just like day-to-day -day communications and stuff, that's perfectly fine for them to handle. Um, but yeah, it's just like one of those things that really helps to have that buffer because we're so personally invested. And one of my friends actually says something that's really great. She says like, basically like you can't take your results personal. Like it's hard because you are behind the business, but you just have to put on your like scientist coat and your lab coat and just be a scientist and take it as data instead of like letting it personally affect you. You know, if a launch goes bad or something like that. So I always like keep that in mind. I'm like, okay, it's just data. Like it kind of sucks, but you can't let it get to you for forever or you're just going to let it ruin you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's why it's also great to have team members through 
disappointment because they don't feel it as much as you do. So they're much more likely to just keep marching forward. And like that can be really good for you to be able to do that as well. Exactly. Because then you, like you're still moving things along instead of like out of standstill because you're so upset about your results. <laughs> yeah. And when you have a team, it also forces you to move things along, which I think is another unsaid benefit is that you can't you got people to pay and people that have expectations of you. So there's no like, just, I'm just going to like mourn this and hide on the couch and not right. do anything else that can happen. And then I find even when it's elevated to me, cause I totally agree with you. There's so there, like there are things like that need to be elevated where I have to do them. I find that what's so great is even if it's elevated, often it's been massaged by them. So yeah. they're, you know, so I'm dealing with, 20% of the issue instead of 100% of the issue. Yeah. And I think that's an amazing thing as well. Definitely, for sure. And then lastly, who is your go-to business resource? Obviously, you've been in business for quite some time, but is there anyone that you like really follow and find that they are very inspirational to you as like, you know, in that space, I guess? Um, <laughs> I know this is a hard one. <laughs> um, I'm pausing. I. I've, so it's, you know, I would definitely, I've had a business mentor uh, for, I've had the same business mentor for the last seven years. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, but I don't, I'm not currently working with her. So, you know, normally I would, um, you know, I would say, okay. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> normally I would say my business mentor um, and she's still awesome. Her name is Suzanne Evans. Um, but the other piece that has come to mind as, as I was talking, this is my, my dad. Um, he ran a company, you know, all while I was growing up and he sold his company when I was in college. And he's somebody that I love because he keeps it real. Like, it, he looks, you know, it's, there's nothing like long-term entrepreneurs, like long-time entrepreneurs to give you the truth on things. Like one of his best pieces of advice for me was, I, I, when I asked him why he sold the company, he said, you know, your first couple problems in business are making money, like for your first couple years. Mm -hmm. Like then after you fix the money problem, after that, for the rest of your business, it will be all about team, finding mm -hmm. the right team members, finding the right support. And he said, ultimately, when he sold this company, you know, he was just done with that aspect of it. <laughs> and I think, I think that's really true. And he also taught me that when you make money, you have to spend the money in order to keep making money. So um, when I made my first $10,000, I remember going home and being like, yeah, dad, I'm so excited. And he's like, and I thought he was going to be like, keep going and put it all in savings. And he looked at me and he's like, great. Now go, go, now go spend that on a vacation. And I was like, what? And he's like, if you have to know why you're making it, he's like, and if you keep hoarding it, it's just going to become a chore. And he's like, you've got to enjoy life and know very clearly that the reason you're making money, the reason you're in business is so you can go and do fun things and have enough of those fun things in your life to create a strong pull for you to get the work done, even when you don't want to. Yeah, no, that makes complete and total sense. I love that. Yeah. And it's always nice to have like a parent that is like, that was in that, you know, the entrepreneurial space because I didn't. And I'm always like, 
like I always look for you know different advice and stuff and my parents can't offer that because they're just like I don't even know what you do like I mean they they understand entrepreneurship but they the social media aspect of things are like I don't even know what you do I'm like oh well whatever <laughs> you know it's fine I, I get it you're you're like in your 60s um social media is not not important to you nor do you really know what it is um but it, I mean it would be so cool to have someone that you know in my immediate family that I could talk to about like the whole journey, like not even just being an online entrepreneur, even having like a brick and mortar store too. It's just, I think that would be really cool to kind of connect with someone like that. So you're very lucky to have um, your dad as a former entrepreneur. So that's yeah. Yeah, I, I am. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, let us know where we can find you. So your website, your social media channels, all that good stuff. Sure. Um, well, the first place is I'd like to offer a free gift to the listeners. Um, and that is that you know, we talked a lot about making money and the voices behind money. And I believe though, the, the next aspect of this is to know exactly what actions you need to take to make money. And there are nine revenue generating activities that I recommend people do every week, every month, and every quarter in order to grow their business consistently and sustainably. And I've listed those out in a free gift for you. It's my money-making marketing calendar. Um, it has the, the activities on it. It has the times and the frequencies that you should be doing it. And you can pick that up at Revenue Break breakthrough.com front slash marketing calendar, revenuebreakthrough.com front slash marketing calendar. And then the other place to just reach us after you get that gift is to join our, um, our Facebook group, which is at revenuebreakthrough.com front slash FB group, Facebook group, FB group, uh, revenuebreakthrough.com front slash FB group. And I put two videos in there a week. Um, about how to make more money and how to clear your money blocks Mondays and Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty exciting. Um, and you can find me on Instagram under revenue breakthrough as well. So I'd love anyone who's listening and wants to continue this conversation to really like join the tribe because it's been, it's so inspiring to watch our tribe become, be able to make a bigger and bigger impact as they get the money piece figured out. I love that. Well, I will link everything in the show notes so everyone can go and check you out and get that freebie. But thank you so much for being here today. I really enjoyed chatting with you about Money Blocks. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. You can find all the details from this episode by going to www.savvysocialhour.com slash episode 95. Make sure to join the Savvy Social Media Babes community Facebook group for daily prompts, updates on the podcast, and more. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. You can find us on the web at www.savvysocialhour.com. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Savvy Social Hour and like our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash Savvy Social Hour. New episodes will be released every single Tuesday and Thursday. See you next time.